making sure there's no sugar alcohols in anything. Make sure I start trying to figure out what breaks down with alcohol, and this is what's wrong with me. The short answer is a lot. But, but we, we've all been there. We've all been there with a sick kid with a fever that's spiking and you can't do anything about it and you're just doing all that you can and you're contemplating an ice bath and you're, you're, you've got fans blowing and you're, 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 you're trying to hydrate this child. We've, we've, we've been there for parents especially. We all have a conflict at work with somebody or a boss or an employee or somebody that we need to have a conversation with, perhaps maybe even at church or within our own family, that, that this conflict has to take place. This, this confrontation, we have to be that We have all been there, haven't we? What is it about impatience that motivates us to do such stupid things? We're in such a generation now of now, 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 now. We've, 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 we've been called the microwave generation and popcorn generation. And now, 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 now. And there's this thing about impatience that drives us, maybe even brings up an element of pride that how my impatience kicked in and it moved to results happening a little bit faster or how more efficient we are because we're impatient about things or how much quicker. I mean, anybody use Waze whenever you travel through town? suckers it's an outright lie isn't it i'm convinced the city of houston and TxDOT fund ways just to help spread out the traffic you don't know any different because you're impatient now for me i hate traffic i would drive around my 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 my, my elbow to get to my thumb just to keep moving I don't care if it's further out of the way. I just don't like stop. I'm impatient. I just like to keep moving. And it's actually one of those, those challenging characteristics of humanity, particularly those who have proclaimed Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, that this morning my goal for you is to, is, is to, to communicate a key ideal when it comes to standing as a Christ follower to say that, that, that I am slow to anger and I endure patiently under the unavoidable pressures of life. Can that be said about you? I mean, just, just look at this statement for just a minute. It, it, it should be up there in just a second. I'm, I'm, I'm patient. I, I am slow to anger and endure patiently under the unavoidable pressures of life. Now, because I love you, please don't say, no, you're not, Pastor. This, is, this I is you, okay? It's not just me, all right? But it would be fair to say, no, you're not, John. We know you. We love you no less, but, but, but the next time we're in line at the store in front of you, we're writing a check just to watch you. I was reading and studying up for this, and CBS News uh, had an article about impatience. And in this article, it starts talking about what the, the long-term implications of impatience is and, and some of the problems that, that we have and what it does to our health when we, we get in a hurry about things, when we don't take our time, when we don't slow down whenever we don't do the, the, the things that we're supposed to do uh, and, and how impatience is literally killing us, how it changes our body in such a way that they can actually do tests after we've been in a high-stress environment. One of the tests was they were putting hands in cold water for three minutes and then turn around and doing a blood test behind that and seeing something called um, uh, uh, t t 
paramones, I think they're called, and how they degrade. And what we actually see is that when, when terminally ill patients, particularly uh, over the age of 80, when they test their blood, their pteromones are shorter and there's fewer of them because they know that, the, that the, 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 their lifespan is coming to an end. And so when we're stressed beyond belief, we actually demonstrate the same characteristics of someone whose body is beginning to shut down. One of the doctors, his name was Dr. Amat Smood. He's with the Mayo Clinic. He says this. He says that an explosive episode of anger, stress, or impatience can increase your risk of heart attack and sudden death by two to eightfold for the next few hours. Folks, you are a ticking time bomb. Your impatience every day from 4 o'clock to 630 on I-10 sets you up to explode somewhere before 9 o'clock. I just want you to think about this for a minute. I mean, you should hear the song Danger Zone playing in your mind right now when you're so stressed out when you get home, right? And, and, and working parents who have kids at home, there is nothing that calms you down more than hurrying to get home just to go someplace else. Are you with me? Because that's calming, isn't it? I can't wait to get home because I got three minutes to eat and then I got to take my one kid to here, my other kid to here, and why do we have a third kid and we got to go there and do that too? Whoo, I just don't have any time. Don't worry, by 9.30 it could all be over according to Dr. Smoot. Impatience. He, he actually goes on to say this, and I'm not sure I agree with him, but I appreciate his sentiment. He says we're actually wired to be impatient. And he uses a great example. He says a baby is impatient about getting his diaper changed. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Perhaps our flesh nature is indeed wired to be impatient. As we've been walking through this Believe book, and we're in chapter 26 this week about patience, most of you have recognized that we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit, being peace, joy, patience, love, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And this morning, if you're writing anything down, I would recommend a couple things that I'm going to put up here. But one of those is that, that patience on a Christ follower is basically the outer skin of the fruit of the Spirit. And I hope to develop that a little bit, but I want you to consider this for a moment, that, that when we demonstrate patience as a Christ follower, that, that we're basically showing the outer, ripe fruit of the Spirit. To say that, the, that, that my patience... Not unlike when Eve saw the fruit that was pleasing to the eye and drew her to it with a little help of the serpent, we look at a patient person and it's the pleasing outer skin of the fruit. I mean, I know some of you like rotten bananas. They're great for banana bread, but they're, they're not to eat, right? They're mushy and yucky. I don't know how you do that. But you judge the ripeness of fruit when you go to buy it by what the outer skin looks like, right? Some of you smell it, some of you thump it, but for the most part, your fruits and vegetables, the produce, the fruit that you want to buy, you're looking on the outside of it and saying, okay, that's ripe and good and healthy, and I'm going to pay for that. And some of you even pay more for organic. You put it in a piece of plastic. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. You know who you are. You write with a check, right? So if patience is the outer skin of the fruit of the Spirit, we need to understand that patience is often understood and described of what it's not. For example, my patience is wearing thin with you. 
I am losing my patience with you. You are on my last nerve, and I have no patience for you whatsoever. And so when we talk about patience, we often talk about it in the negative Because what we see is the rotten outer skin of the fruit that someone is bearing and saying, look at me. Don't you want to be like me? I'm angry and frustrated and in a hurry and don't care to stop and smell the roses because they're probably just going to cut my finger on the thumb anyway. I want the smell. I want this. I want it now. I want it now. I want it now. I'm impatient. And I don't know about you, but impatient people make me nervous. Because you never know what they're going to do. And here's the thing. They're really visible. They're everywhere. Doing very little, but moving a lot. Because they're impatient. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29 tells us clearly, Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Pastor, you're getting into it early this morning, aren't you? Hey, I'm impatient. I'm going to get on your toes fast. You've probably heard the phrase, patience is a virtue. So what would impatience be? In my study this week and in reading through the book and in looking at at, at different passages of Scripture and how different people treated it, one thing I I, I came to, to really understand and embrace this week is that when I am impatient, particularly with someone, because it's almost always relational, whether I know that person well or they're sitting in traffic and I'm impatient with them because of the way they're driving or whatever the case may be, what I've come to embrace is that my inability to demonstrate patience says more about my relationship with Jesus Christ than it does the stressful situation itself. Now, now just, just wrestle with that with me for just a few moments, if you will, but just be patient with me. And just understand that when I demonstrate impatience, particularly towards someone, and especially those who know all the right buttons to push, namely being family, when I demonstrate impatience to someone, and I lash out, or I rage out, or I snip, or I bite, or whatever the case may be, when I'm impatient with someone, when I'm demonstrating a rotten outer skin of the fruit of the Spirit that's supposed to be dwelling within me and growing in Christ, what I'm really saying is that my frustration says more about my lack of a good relationship with Jesus than what it does with the situation itself. I mean, how many times have you gotten a hurry to do something of no value whatsoever? And it doesn't have anything to do with the outcome or the ending. It's the task, just get it over with. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really change you that much. But what did change you was how impatient you were with someone else in your process to get to where you want to be. It's like a lot of the fights you have with family. You have no idea what they're about, what started them, or how they ended, but you're certain your wife won them, okay? When I'm not in a right place with the Lord, when I am not demonstrating all the elements of the fruit of the Spirit, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, when I'm not demonstrating those things as a Christ follower, it says more about my relationship with Jesus and it comes out of my heart and out of my mouth onto the shoulders and the face of other people I'm frustrated with. 
when really I've got this cognitive dissonance that is struggling within me to say, I believe this to be true about what the scripture says and about who I am in Christ, but I'm behaving differently then. And so it's causing me some stress. And the best way for me to deal with stress is to blame somebody else, to put it on somebody else. Now, that, by the way, is not a good way to manage your stress. It's not good to say, I'm stressed out, therefore the best plan is to stress everybody else out to my level so we all balance out. But yet teenagers do that. I don't understand what's going on there. When I fail to demonstrate patience, what I, what I have to also understand is what is causing that, that, that impatience to be so openly displayed to everybody else. And I, I, I would agree with this statement as well. You might want to write this one down, that mistrust is often the root of impatience. Chew on that one for just a moment, if you will. There's not a better example than Genesis chapter 16, wherever Sarai and Abram, who would become Sarah and Abraham, who were told they were going to have a child at 99 and 100 years old, and they hadn't had a child yet, and she even laughed and said, there's no way I'm too old to have a child, and God caused her to be silent for a while, and then when she did get pregnant, but before that happened, she got in a hurry because she had this slave named Hagar, and she told her husband, go and, and sleep with her, and God will provide a child for you that way because I'm impatient. I'm not going to wait on what God is doing because I mistrust what God has said to me about me having a child at this old age. Do you understand where, where when I mistrust, I develop this sense of impatience? I mistrust that my child's going to get his room clean in a relative amount of time or do a good job about it, so therefore I'm going to be impatient with him. I gave him an hour, but every 10 minutes, I'm going to keep checking on my child to see if they've cleaned their room yet, if they picked up this, if they've done this and this and this and this. I've gotten Thanksgiving dinner already, and I'm so excited about my family coming and sitting down at the table, and the best plan for me is to keep opening the oven to see if the turkey's cooked or not because I'm impatient about what's happening. I mistrust that the butterball people were right about 20 minutes per pound because they don't know my oven. Was that gas or electric? Convection, air fryer? Do, do you understand where when we begin to mistrust, we begin to display that mistrust through impatience? And for that reason, I would say this clearly, that my patience, especially with others, is evidence of my trust in God's love, timing, and plan for my life and for theirs. Oh, man, you're getting deep this morning. Some of you may catch up with me on this because... I'm really trying to reel you into a place to understand that when you look at all the other elements of the fruit of the Spirit, those first couple of ones, love, joy, self-control, those are things that God in, interacts with us internally. But when it comes to patience, this is actually something that's on the outside. It's very evident with us when we display patience and impatience. It's more on the outside of us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. So while we interact with family or friends or coworkers or people within the body of Christ, I think it's very important for us to understand what, what Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica there to help us to understand that when we're impatient with others, 
especially if they're not moving as quickly as we think they ought to or they can or have demonstrated in the past, if our impatience moves over to a place where we start turning them away from the gospel, stop turning them away from the right relationship with Jesus Christ, start damaging the relationship we have with one another, what we are essentially saying is that I have a better plan for your life than what God does. And likewise, I have a better plan for how things should work out in my own life than what God does. And I mistrust, that's the root of our impatience, that God is working this out in time that he sees fit because I want him to do it my way and I would rather trust in myself and lean on my own understanding. And that always leads me to trouble. See, we had not even got to the main scripture yet. Are you patient? Because if you're impatient, go ahead and turn to James chapter 5. James, as we've spoken many times, most likely the brother of Christ had a very different understanding of how things operated and how things worked. He had this huge mistrust of his brother early on. We see a little bit of that in Scripture in different places. Having watched his brother die and raise again and die for the sins of all mankind, James is elevated in the church as a leader. He's strong. He's very opinionated. People trust him. The church in Jerusalem particularly is looking at him. James gives us a couple of good examples. We're going to look at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 9 first. And I, I want you to kind of clue in on a couple of things that we see about patience being that outer skin of the fruit of the Spirit and understanding that our patience is demonstrated for us and we choose how we act upon that or not. James tells us this, James chapter 5, verse 7 through 9. It says, be patient. That's where we start. Isn't that great? Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits in the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord is coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. This is such a, an interesting piece of scripture because what James has done is that he has appealed to a knowledge that many of the others understand because everybody was impacted by farming, even as we are today, but they saw it face to face. They saw it each and every day. And what James says is that a farmer is at least smart enough to know that I don't go out and yield a crop before it's ripe. Because if I go out and yield a crop before it's ripe, the value of that crop is so much less than yielding a ripened crop. Just as if I were to go to the grocery store and buy an apple and I would taste it and say, oh, yeah, that's pretty good, versus pulling it straight off the tree and knowing that a ripe apple straight off the tree tastes so much better. A farmer's also smart enough to go outside and look at the weather and realize he can do nothing about it. He can pray, and he can scream, and he can yell, and he can offer sacrifices in the old time. I don't know if Phil probably still does that today. And he can do all those other things, but at the end of the day, guess who controls the weather? It's God. And because God has determined that a great harvest is coming, as James tells us, to be ready for the great day of the Lord is coming, that he expects, listen to this, he expects a ripened harvest he does not expect to find those particularly on the vine who are clinging to the vine. I'm the, the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me. You can, without me, you can do nothing. Remember this, John? When he returns, he expects to find the, the, the fruit ripened on the vine, doing what it's supposed to be doing. 
He doesn't expect for us to be impatient and to demonstrate these qualities of impatience in such a way because that will not rush the crop. Now, I know you're thinking right now, well, science has told us that a hothouse tomato can continue to ripen inside the back of a truck. Doesn't that just sound appealing to you? Mmm, this thing was green when it left Ecuador. Nice and red now, right? In the back of a truck and on a container ship and sitting out there off the coast waiting for supply chain to catch up. Mmm. Isn't that great? We're talking about valuable crop here. We're talking about souls. We're talking about people who need to be drawn in by a patient person who says, I'm walking with the Lord in spite of all the challenges that may be coming out there. I'm being patient and I'm standing firm because I know that as I mature in Christ, as the fruit of the Spirit ripens, as the outer skin looks as good as the stuff on the inside, as I display love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control against there is no law, when I do all those things the way that I'm supposed to be doing so, that tells me the more and more the fruit ripens on the vine that the Lord is nearer to coming by, that he is nearer to coming and harvesting his crop for himself. He is near to calling his children to himself. And for some of us, that's exciting. But for a lost and dying world out there who is malnourished by insufficient and unsatisfactory fruit that they're watching, particularly from the church, they're still starving to death out there. And what they need to know is that Christ is coming back to judge each and every one of us. And how will he find you? Likewise, in verse 9 there, we see the farmer's pretty smart because what he also realizes is that we don't grumble against one another. That one farmer doesn't get mad at the other one and take the sickle to each other in such a way that the blade is dull and the harvest is more difficult. To be perfectly honest with you, what this farmer, particularly in James chapter 5, tells us, particularly as we had to look at it from the church's perspective, is we don't have time to bear the fruit of the Spirit and keep fighting amongst ourselves as Christians. We don't have time for that. One, it's not productive to the outside world who should be drawn to us to see the the good fruit that is pleasing to the eye that nourishes us and leads them to want to be changed from the inside out just like food does for us. Two, a farmer knows, hey, I've got too much work to do than to mess around with all this other garbage and junk going on. And three, I may need you to help me one day because the Lord may actually bless me with such a crop that i got to go get help. And if you and I were grumbling and bickering and fighting about all those other things, not demonstrating all the other elements of the fruit of the Spirit, when the day comes when I need you, you have every right to say, no, I'm not coming. But as a Christ follower and a believer, you've got to put all those things aside and say, you know what, we're all here for the harvest. And when the harvest is plenty, the laborers seem to be few. And a whole lot of the problems with the few laborers is that we grumble amongst ourselves or we don't demonstrate what a good harvest looks like so we don't even know what it looks like to pick it off the vine because we don't see it in our own lives. But look what James says in verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. If you're reading this week, you're going to see a couple of passages out of the book of Job. If you know the story of Job, you've probably been told over and over and over again that Job is a a book and a story about patience. More than anything, I think Job is also a a, a reality of integrity, of doing the right thing regardless. But here's, here's just the synopsis of the entire book of Job and a little bit about what James is talking about here. In a single day, 
Job, who is described by God himself as blameless and upright, who shunned evil and worshipped what was good, the one true God, was introduced to Satan. Now let that just get to you for a moment, because God himself said, do you know my servant Job? Have you considered him? And Satan himself said, yeah, I considered him, but your hand's on him, and I'm not going anywhere near that guy, because you're protecting him. God says, go ahead, test him, and he will do what is right in his heart and with his mouth. And throughout the whole book of Job, it says, Job maintained his integrity and did not sin against God with his mouth or with his heart. But in a single day, ten of Job's children died. All of his camels and his sheep and his goats and all of his crop were wiped out and killed. Most of his servants were killed or taken hostage by other people out there. His wife said, why don't you just curse God and die for whatever it is you've done? And his three best friends said, we know you did something. We're not sure what it is. It's outside of your character, but just go ahead and confess to it. I don't care if you got to lie to your God. Do whatever you got to do because what you're going through, buddy, is a bad day. Now consider all those things because Job will respond, should we also not take the, the, the bad and the good from God? Can we not also understand that regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the everyday stresses of life, which by the way, those are not everyday stresses, of life. Those are extreme stresses of life. So all of our little problems are indeed that little problems in comparison to what Job went through. Can we not stand and look at Job as an example of the Old Testament prophets and the, the, those who have gone on before us and then understand clearly and firmly that God has a better plan and his timing and his love is good for me. And Job didn't just suddenly one day wake up and become patient because of all those trials. Job had a life that was consistently patient waiting for God and his timing and knowing he had a better plan. You may blow up on something today and, and demonstrate an outer impatience. And if you're trusting God and allowing him to work through that, perhaps the vine dresser comes along and trims off a couple of those rough edges for you. And the next time the same stress comes about, you don't respond and react the same way because you had an opportunity to, to demonstrate patience in the, 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 the front side of trials and stress so that when the really hard things got to you, the loss of a loved one, the loss of your income, the loss of your house, the loss of your friends, the distrust from your spouse. When those really hard times come, you don't respond impatiently because you have demonstrated patience in the little things. And when you're good with the little things, God provides opportunity for the big things for you to be responsible for. And the patience that you wear is the jersey saying, this is the team I play for. And if you're a Christ follower and part of the fruit of the Spirit is demonstrating patience, and you're out there just ripping everybody's head off, either change jerseys or get out of the game. But an opportunity for us to demonstrate patience towards others, particularly as the example of Job, reminds us that Christ is coming back and that the Lord himself is full of compassion and mercy, and that when the troubles of this life that were brought to us because of sin that happened that attached to each and every one of us give us opportunity, actually, to demonstrate patience, and we either take it or we don't. And if we take it, we build on that, and we build on that, and we build on that. I love the relationship that I have with my father. He's always been a great guy. I love him dearly. I have seen him over the years take one on the chin and just kind of struck, you know, slough it off. And it has amazed me because the first thing I want to do is just freak out. I'm like, are you kidding me? 
that just happened? Oh, yeah, it's not a big deal. What do you mean it's not a big deal? It is the end of the world, Dad. What are you talking about? And that was just a conversation we had last year. For those of us who are raising teenagers or, or, or maybe about to or going to, you have to understand that some of the issues that they're dealing with are very real to them. I don't think we try to minimize those things, but what an opportunity to teach our kids to be patient in the midst of this because when the real hard things of life start piling up down the road, they want to be prepared for that, right? And if we just let them skate on this rage monster that is hormones that we often call it, then when they get to be young adults and even older adults, they're not going to grow up. They're not going to mature. It doesn't mean that you fix all their little problems for them. Some of you adults actually are there now because you can look back and say, you know what, I remember the day when I did not demonstrate the patience I should have in a little thing, and when a bigger thing got to me, I completely messed that one up. Is that fair? Okay, we're going to have a moment of confession. I'm going to get a mic up here. I want you to come up and tell me about that. Not all at once. Be patient. So our question this morning, after looking at what James says, knowing that, that, that the day of the Lord is coming and we need to demonstrate this patience just like the farmer does, what a great example is this, is how does God provide the help I need to deal with the everyday stresses of life? Rub some dirt on it, Jesus said. No. I'll give you something to cry about. I've never heard God say that, right? Maybe he did when he said, I'll give you so much quail it'll be coming out of your nose, right? I think there are three things that we could possibly do to help us understand how we deal with and how God provides for us help and assistance in dealing with the everyday stresses of life. And I think the first one is to acknowledge and accept God's patience with me. I don't know that we're really as patient with other people when we get out of the right relationship of understanding that God is patient with me. Whenever God brought the people uh, from Joshua's time back into the, the land of Israel to the promised land where he promised them. They were a, a single nation at that point. They actually weren't called a nation until they all stepped over the Jordan and stepped onto the promised land. They were a nation for the very first time in the scripture. They were a holy people set apart and divine for a purpose, not just to be elevated amongst everybody else and for God to favor them, but also to demonstrate to the rest of the world that God was going to send through them, through the line of Judah particularly, a savior for all mankind. It was not just enough for the children of Israel to occupy a land. They were also supposed to go and occupy the hearts of the surrounding people by telling them the good news that salvation was coming. By having the outer skin of the fruit of the Spirit to say, come, worship our God. Come, live like we live. Come and see that God's got a better plan for us. Trust in Him, especially when you don't know what's going on in your life. And that lasted for about 268 years. And in the process of that 268 years, this nation of Israel divided itself into two, a northern and a southern kingdom. And then they began to fight with one another. Then they began to worship false gods. Then they began to build temples. And they stopped knocking down all the high places of all the idols and the false gods. And for 268 years, God watched them over and over again and kept calling them, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. Go and redeem Gomer the prostitute and bring her back to me. Go and do whatever you need to do. Come back to me. And eventually he wiped out the northern kingdom, and all that was left was a little bit of Judah in the southern kingdom. And 260 years, 268 years later, he finally said, enough, everybody out of the pool. You're done. I'm going to send another nation in here. These people call the Chaldeans. These people call the Babylonians. They're going to be awful people. 
They're going to take Christians and put them on sticks and dip them in oil eventually and use them as lights along a pathway. And they're going to be the rulers over you because for 268 years, I have demonstrated patience to my people calling you to come back and you've turned your nose at me and turned your back on me and you call me ungrateful and unmerciful and unloving. How much more do you need? I mean, I guess I could just send my son to die for all of you. When we acknowledge and accept God's patience with ourselves, we see what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. It says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. As a Christ follower, when I demonstrate patience with others, I'm not condoning their sin. I'm not elevating their actions. I'm not saying it's okay for you to live this way. What I'm saying is is that I'm not going to judge you too harshly because I know that God was patient with me and for all the sins I committed and for all the things that I've done. And I'm asking you to see the patience that I live with, knowing that I deserve absolute punishment and death, but God says I want everybody to come to repentance. And I'm taking my time, not because I'm slow to fulfill my promises, but because time does not bind me but a day will come when I finally had enough and I'm going to call in the harvest and I'm going to go out and get the ripe harvest for myself and I need people to come and go with me because I desire to have a full storehouse and I want you to be a part of that God's not slow and if you think he's slow then you need to understand that all that slowness is mercy and grace it is a demonstration of patience for his most favorite creation humanity to turn, to repent, and march towards him, to run away from all the things we placate ourselves with. In that same passage down in verse 14 and 15, we'll see Peter say this, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's, listen to this, our Lord's patience means salvation just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with wisdom that God gave him. When I blow up, when I demonstrate impatience, when the brown spots of my skin on the outside are starting to reveal that I don't have some of the other elements of the fruit of the Spirit, there is nothing attractive that people come towards me. They don't see Jesus on the outer side of me. They don't see that I have truly submitted to the repentance, and they don't see where God has been faithful and has been calling me. What they see is is those Christians check some sort of box, or they're two-faced, or whatever the case may be. What an opportunity for us as Christ followers to acknowledge God's patience with us by being a lot more gracious in how we deal with others, particularly those who do not know what we know or do not have what we have. Instead, let's judge them. Let's get really judgy about it. Let's talk about how all the sins of this world and this planet and how this country is going to heck in a handbasket. It's because we're outside of the will of God and God is doing all these things. I got news for you. That may or may not be true, but what really doesn't matter is that if your relationship with Jesus Christ is not where it's supposed to be, you can live in the greatest place on earth. And I'm not talking about Disneyland. And if you don't know him, then his patience will eventually run out. And Christ follower. You have been called to demonstrate that patience with others just as Christ has been patient with you. Secondly, I think what we need to understand is that we must practice patience through self-control. Wow. 
You mean there's application? I mean, Pastor, you're not actually considering that I should read the scripture and let it change my life. Are, are you just talking about behavior modification? Maybe, perhaps, since it is All Hallows Eve, I should give out candy for those of you who act right. Or maybe you'll trick me if I don't. No trick here, friends. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. I don't know about you, but I've never looked at a, a... Some of you who are parents, you remember this. Do you remember before you were parents, before you had children, and you saw a kid just throwing a tantrum? I mean just throwing a tantrum in the grocery store behind the lady writing a check. I want that candy. I want it now. If you're really, really good, you can have it. If you're good later, you can have it. You, do you remember that? Because for me, it was like, this is why I don't want to have kids. I don't want to deal with that level of impatience. That level of impatience particularly said, it does not draw me into the desire of parenthood. And a Christ follower acts the same way, like an impetuous child that just pitches a fit because you somehow have the holy right to do so based fully on emotions and not with a holy anger that God does actually provide for us. And it's better for us to be self-controlled than to be somebody out there who is taking over a city and trying to change the world. I got news for you. When people get up on their soapboxes, they start yelling and screaming and hammering and carrying on. I don't care how true their message may be. It's the delivery of it that says, I'm not interested. I don't want anything to do with that. You, You get me on that? And most of the time, I don't even hear the message. All I see is the impatience acting out. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul will write to us, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgives you. Clothe yourself. Put on the outer skin of patience that shows that the fruit that is being born within me is ripe and good. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. When I'm self-controlled, I don't let those emotions and that rage and all those other things happen because I'm walking with the Lord in right pace. And so when the everyday stresses of life, where we've all been there, where we've all gone through these things, we've all had these problems, I have a choice. I have this blessed gift of a choice. I can choose to represent Christ and myself well because of what he's done in me, or I can choose to deny the person of Christ who is supposedly dwelling in me and demonstrate to somebody else something completely different and ask them, would you like to come and be like I am? I go to this awesome church. We talk about the Bible. We talk about Jesus. And then as soon as we leave out of here, we go to the nearest restaurant. We've treated the wait staff terribly when they're late on stuff. If my tea glass gets to the very bottom, oh, man, that's it. No tip for her. Just so you know, waiters and waitresses hate Sunday church people coming in here. They're the worst tippers. Well, I have higher expectations because I've been to church today. Yeah, God's got a higher expectation for you, too, because you went to church today. The third thing I think we can do that God provides help for us in these stresses is to see the blessing beyond the stressing. Man, stress is everywhere, and it's killing us. In Scripture, particularly in the Greek, there's this word called hypomon or hypomene, depending on how you want to say it. And the ideal is to remain under 
this stress or under this pressure. And the word actually translated in English as perseverance. And so when stress comes our way, whenever we're walking in a stressful situation, what we are called to do is to remain under that and to persevere through those times. And in that perseverance, we're going to see a lot of different character things reflect in that. And that perseverance, like the, the hard outer skin of, a, of an apple or an orange or, or the rind that you don't eat, it's protecting us and the fruit that's on the inside. And it's still going to look good because it perseveres under pressure and time and all the things that go with that. And we're actually called to persevere during hard times, one, because it is preparing us for what is coming in the future, two, because other people are watching this and need some sort of example because they don't know Christ, they don't know God, but they do know you, and if you claim to know one of those two guys or both of them, then we need to be an example for them. But unfortunately, what happens when we're impatient is we run towards some sort of placebo because we don't have the perseverance and the integrity to maintain the right attitude and the right relationship with Christ. What that often looks like is what we talked about a few weeks ago is that we have these different addictions and they may be a whole lot of things that just take our time and our mind away. And it could be something as extreme as drugs and alcohol and sex and all those other addictions that, that we, we frown upon or it could just be TV and it could just be all these other hobbies and whatever. But whatever the case may be is when we don't persevere under hard times and stress and we run towards those things, we go back to a mistrust of God to say that I'm impatient with God and with others because I mistrust that God's got a better plan for me because if he had a right plan for me, I wouldn't go through all these problems. And that's an outright lie. God's plan actually says, go through this, walk through this. I'm with you. You only have to know a few steps. You don't have to have all of that. I'm with you. Demonstrate your trust in me so when things get really hard, others will see me working in you and they'll want to be a part of that. But instead, you're going to get in a hurry of trying to reap a harvest that isn't ready yet and you're not going to be satisfied with the fruit of that. And so persevere. Stand under the pressure and keep running. James chapter 1 verse 19 through 20 tells us this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Can you say about yourself that I am slow to anger and endure patiently under the unavoidable pressures of life. We're in church. So for the most of you, the answer is no. Just throwing that out there, not rhetorical. Doesn't make you a terrible, horrible person. Doesn't make you the absolute worst. But it does open up opportunity for you to say, you know what, I'm going to trust God more so. I'm going to realize that he has been gracious with me and the outer fruit, the outer skin of the fruit that I seem to be bearing needs a little bit of work because others need to see this Jesus that I believe so much in in my life so that they might want some of that in their life too. Or they're going to turn their nose at that when that fruit is offered up. They're going to say, I don't want the peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, or self-control that you Christians claim to have because it's not consistent. It's not even, and it seems to have some sort of caveats to it. I'm just fine in the world that I'm in now. 
And if nothing else, I have all these other things to numb my pain, these placebos that stop me from living the way that I'm supposed to live. God's called us to a life of patience. He wants us to put on the outer part of patience as a result of what's happening on the inside. And so the next time you find yourself angry and frustrated and blowing up and yelling and screaming and kicking and everything else, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I promise you, I'm even going to say it out loud. I told you so. Check your hearts. God, I'm mad about a really silly situation. I'm impatient about something that really doesn't change anything in eternity because I'm not spending the time with you I need to spend with you. I'm not trusting you in the things I need to trust you in. I'm not growing and maturing as a fruit ready for harvest the way you need me to do so. I promise you that's the answer. I don't make a whole lot of big claims like that, but I I promise you that when your impatient blows up and everybody around you sees that, it goes back to a relationship opportunity that you have to slip back in and say, you know what, Father, I'm going to trust you on this. And as I trust you on this, I know the days ahead when harder things come, I'm going to be, you're going to be there with me and I can make it through that. I can make it through that because you're with me no matter what. Be patient, friends, because the Lord has been patient with you. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we bless you. We thank you, Lord, that you are indeed patient with us. And God, while we often look at the story of Job and we question the statements made by his wife or by his kids, what we need to really pay attention to is that Job was the greatest man in all the East. That you said that about him yourself. And that, Father, you trusted him in the small things before the really bad days came. And as a result of that, Lord, you repaid to him tenfold of all that he had because he was patient and he maintained his integrity, trusting you and the plan you have for his life. So God, when we don't live and act the way we're supposed to, when we get impatient with others, Father, teach us to recognize that our impatience with others most often falls with a mistrust of your timing, of your will and your love for us. And so Lord, this morning I ask that you would just place upon the hearts of each and every one of us here that as long as we are alive and we have breath, that your patience with us is leading towards salvation. And that it has been with humanity for so long. Father, even as we look and wonder how much longer will the wicked prosper, we must understand that we are amongst the wicked. And yet you still deliver us from so much. That you are patient with us. Certainly not because we deserve it, but because you love us. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Lord, thank you for how you provide for this church, for the many people that serve here each and every Sunday, Lord, and the things that go on throughout the week. Bless their hands, Lord, just as you did your servant Job. Father, we thank you that we can provide ministries support throughout our church. And we just pray, God, that you would bless our offering this morning that you would allow us to make good and wise decisions to help those who are helping others, to take care of the basic necessities of life, Lord, but as well as to understand and come to a growing knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Father, we do pray over our students, particularly today of this school, those that will be out trick-or-treating and doing all those things in our community. God, we pray for their safety. 
We pray, Lord, that even in the midst of a, of a dark holiday that some, some really terrible things can happen, we also pray, God, that this would be opportunities for us to share the light of Jesus Christ with those that may come to our door. Father, we pray for those that might want to do evil, that you would just begin now work in their heart where they would not do so. Father, likewise, we thank you for the reformation that came so many hundreds of years ago, bringing us back to the reality of your love for us. And indeed, Lord, your patience for a sinful humanity in need of a Savior. Father, we love you and we bless you, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you stand with me this morning, I want to provide you an opportunity to respond or to give um, or just to tell us who you are. We're going to pass the offering plates around.